0: Well, welcome back, church family. I'm Pastor Cindy. I'm so glad that those of you who are here in person are here in spite of the weather. And uh, all those watching online, we welcome you too. Uh, this is week three of our four seri- week series called White as Snow. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, you remember the title of our series that came from the prophet Isaiah, who said to the Israelites, Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And Isaiah was speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here about the many sins that God's people had. In fact, he said their transgressions were so numerous that they were weighed down by sin. And before you came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're probably aware of that in your life too. I mean, you just feel it, right? And so they were so numerous, they were weighed down by sin. And yet, even in the middle of that reality, Isaiah was able to prophesy that their sins, although they were red like scarlet, they could be made white as snow. So uh, just a little quick quiz to see if you were paying attention. How could Isaiah say that? How could he say that would come to be? How could our sins be made white as snow? Because of the power of God okay God told, them. God told them, yeah yeah I mean it could come to be because Jesus Christ came to earth and um, was their Lord and Savior but in the meantime all the sacrifices before that they were offering in the Old Testament were speaking prophetically to that Savior that would come and those sacrifices that they offered would take care of sin for a while but the white no snow part was coming with Jesus Christ. And uh, these questions that we're asking, and like what plan did God have in place, and all those things that we would ask ourselves as we read that are good questions. And we know, in fact, that plan, like I said, was Jesus. Last week, we talked about God becoming human to be with us through Jesus Christ being born, the incarnation, they call it, of Jesus Christ. And this week, we turn our attention to the purpose of Christ on earth, the reason he came. In the first place. And the good news is that this is the perfect time of year to think about things like that again. Uh, why did God put on flesh and dwell among us? And what matters is that God sent His one and only Son to earth, that whoever believed on Him, like I said God, earlier in worship, we said that God gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish. And then the next verse says this in verse 17 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world aren't you glad he didn't come to condemn you but that he wanted but to save the world through him he wanted to save us it's not to make us feel bad but to help us come to know Jesus Christ to know God he didn't come to hang out with us he didn't come to have a fish fry or go to some dinner parties uh, <laughs> even though he did that, you know, but he that's not what the purpose was. The plan was so much bigger than that. The plan was nothing less than the redemption of mankind. And uh, Christ is not only God's greatest gift to us, or the perfect high priest like we talked about last week, he's also our redeemer. And it starts with Mary and Joseph saying yes to God. And then to continue on with what we're reading in Luke about Uh, The birth of Jesus Christ, if you have the orange Bibles near you, there is page 957 we're going to look at, 957, 958 today. So uh, Luke 1, starting at verse 39. And we'll read a few verses here, and then we'll come back to it. So you can keep the Bible open because we're going to check back in uh, a little bit further on down in a bit. So Luke 1, verses 39 to 45 and verse 56. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary, apparently also under the power of the Holy Spirit, has this thing that we call Mary's song. And she either was singing or saying all of this about God's blessings to her and and what he has done. And then at the end of that song, verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So Mary, after she found out she was going to have the baby and she had you know, uh, told Joseph and was probably dealing with some rejection, like we said last week, as she's coming along in her pregnancy, um, and we don't have any word in the passage of how her parents reacted. But obviously, she felt she needed to get out of town. So she leaves her village and goes to visit Elizabeth. Now, when God calls you to do something in your life and you sense that God's leading you to a certain thing, a certain ministry, a certain job, whatever he's calling you to, and if you don't have the support of your family, and, I mean, they could say, yeah, that, yeah that's a nice idea, but that'll never work. I mean, or, or, yeah, I don't think you can do that. They might not be so, you know, comforting. They might not be so encouraging. And without their support, it's difficult. So Mary was probably in a time when she felt like, I don't have a lot of support here. And you would probably want to spend time with people who would believe in you and encourage you in what God is doing in your life. And that's obviously what happened with Mary here. And she left and went to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth was older than she was, but she was obviously someone who had encouraged her, who had spoken into her life, and she wanted to be around somebody like that. So she hurries off and goes to this town in the hill country of Judea. When you look at the original word for hurried here in the Greek, it means to quickly obey what the Lord reveals, to do something with swift earnestness and enthusiasm. So she was anxious and excited to go, and she just left and hurried on to Elizabeth's house. And it seems that Mary was quickly going to be with her cousin and feeling that she was led by God to be with her. So when Mary gets to their home, Zechariah is the husband, Elizabeth is the wife, she calls out a greeting to Elizabeth, just like we would, you know, and say, Hey, hello, I'm here. And, and Elizabeth noticed that the baby within her leaped in her womb, and the baby responded to the arrival of the young woman who was pregnant with the Savior. And Elizabeth says, under the power of the Holy Spirit it tells us, Blessed are you among women and women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her and her will and will be accomplished. So Mary had probably not heard things like this from her family. I mean, they were probably not saying stuff like that in Nazareth. This prophetic statement from God through Elizabeth had to have been so confirming for Mary, so encouraging for her, for this young mother to be. And there's a statement by Elizabeth here to Mary that shows us faith has a lot to do with what God does in our lives. Mary was able to conceive and bear the Savior because she believed that what God told her was going to come to pass. And when God shows us something that he wants to do in our life, we must first receive that by faith. Our faith is what helps us to see that fulfilled. Because if we doubt, we limit God's work in our life. And you might think, well, you know, he's God. He can overrule that. Well, actually... There's a verse, an example of this, when Jesus was ministering later in his life in Mark 6, 4 through 6. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. See, sometimes our, our faith might waver or wane a little bit when we don't see immediate results. God's not a vending machine. It's not like you go, okay, faith in, miracle out right away, right? As you follow God, he expects us to trust him, to wait on him, the word says, and he will bring it to pass. We need to trust God and have faith that he will do what he has shown us in our lives. And that child that Elizabeth is carrying, is going to be born six months before Jesus. And he's going to be John the Baptist, the cousin, uh, one of the, you know, second cousin of Jesus, I guess. And he's the prophet who told all the people of Israel about the coming Savior. He said he was not uh, worthy to tie the shoes. Uh, He called the nation to repentance. In Matthew 3, 1 through 3, it says in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And then verse 11, I will baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire." So Mary and Elizabeth are both carrying children. They're both pregnant with children who are part of this mighty plan of God, one with a miraculous geriatric geriatric pregnancy. She's an old lady, so they call it geriatric pregnancy. A miraculous one, though, because she was supposed to be too old to even have a baby anymore. And she conceives, and this is going to be John the Baptist, and the other one with a miraculous, immaculate pregnancy. The power of God came on her and caused her to be pregnant. And both of these ladies had, like, unique situations, and they needed each other's encouragement, that they were part of God's plan, that they were doing what God had called them to. And God brought them together for this time, for these few months. So Mary stays with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returns home. And the next verse in the passage tells us that Elizabeth then gives birth to to the baby who is John. And Mary stayed right up to the time that Elizabeth was almost ready to have that baby. When Mary went home, she had been with her, and they had been speaking what God said over each other. She was full of the word of God in her heart. Elizabeth had been speaking it over her. And then Zechariah is a priest in the temple. So she's surrounded by people who served God. And being accepted in this home for three months would have helped her and strengthened her to face the rest of the time that she had in her own hometown. So Mary would have been starting her fourth month when she returned to Nazareth. She probably didn't do a lot of socializing for the next few months, but then something came up and she and Joseph had to leave and go somewhere. And that would have been difficult, you know, if she's like in her last trimester before the baby's going to be born and she has to travel this great distance, but it had to be done. So let's read Luke 2, uh, page 958, verses 1 through 7. In those days... and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them." Okay, so how many of you have ever been part of a census? Okay, and what's the purpose of that census? Why, why do they do sen- censuses? Yeah, to see how many people are in that area. Anything else? Origins? How about age? How about income? Yeah. And so we don't know exactly what this census was looking for, but it probably had several factors, and because of it, back then they didn't have computers. I mean, I know, it's probably new information. They didn't have computers back then, so they all had to go to where they were from and be uh, interviewed and check in and get all that information. So because of that, both Mary and Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. They were in Nazareth. They had to go back to Bethlehem and be part of the census. They had to go register there. Uh, So they were both from the line of David, obviously, then. And that's a good thing, since Mary was expecting, right? The time between King David and Mary's fiancé, Mary and her fiancé Joseph, the time between King David and them was about 1,000 years. A 1,000 years had gone past. So that's about the time between us and medieval times. That's a lot of descendants that had been born there. So when it says that they couldn't find a place to stay, no kidding. There would have been a ton of people that would have gone there. So Joseph had to go with Mary to register and while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So you know this is difficult. They're, where are they? They're not staying in a, in a room, a guest room of someone's house in the family. They're kind of out in the middle of the field of the sheep. And so uh, it said they had no place to be going. So Jesus was born and placed in a manger in the feeding trough of the animals. And this would not have been the plan of Joseph and Mary. You know, but it was the plan of God. And to have Jesus be born in such humble beginnings, it shows us that he came for everyone, the whole world, not just an elite few, but everybody, no matter where you are in that census, no matter where you are in any of those factors, Jesus came for you. So the power of sin had separated us from God, which means that we needed a Savior to come to our rescue, to be our Redeemer. And our rescue came when Jesus was born, and we now have rege- redemption through his blood and sacrifice. In Psalm 34:22, it says, The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So it says that he rescues his servants. Rescued here, When you look at the original language in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, it means redeemed. It says he's going to redeem us. And then also in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 in the New Testament, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect." Okay, so redeemed, he's our redeemer, we can be redeemed. So what does that mean? What exactly is redemption? He he the price has been paid. He paid the price for someone to redeem. Buying something that was lost. Buy back. Yeah. Now, these are all good answers, and there's also a version of the word redemption about things we can buy, right? Like buy one, get one free. You can redeem that coupon, that BOGO, (laughs) or a raffle ticket, or whatever. But obviously, that's not what we're talking about here with redeemed. Uh, Maybe you've heard that used a lot at church, but you never really pause to consider what does it mean to be redeemed? What does it mean that I'm redeemed? So here's a definition Of redemption an act of redeeming or atoning for a fault or mistake or the state of being redeemed and another definition says the act of saving or being saved from sin error or evil and these definitions definitions of what it means to be redeemed help us to understand it a little more for followers of Jesus Christ our redemption is Jesus Christ he is the one in other words that in him and through him It's possible for us to be redeemed and freed from the kingdom of sin and darkness. That's what our redemption means is that we are bought back, like you said, bought back from the kingdom of sin and darkness and given the kingdom of light in Jesus Christ. So now that we know that that's how we are redeemed, how do we live like that? How do we live like we're redeemed people? Well, the first thing is we want to be freed from darkness, Uh, Light and dark are obviously symbols of good and evil. And in the Bible, light's often associated with God. It's with goodness, with hope, and generally positive things. Would you agree? Yeah. And uh, darkness, just the opposite. It isn't just a nice metaphor, though. Light and dark do have power for both good and evil. Author Joan Christister says, psychologists tell us that one of the most difficult conditions a person can be forced to bear is light deprivation. Darkness, in fact, is often used in military captivity or penal institutions to break down an individual's sense of self, obviously not good places. Once a person becomes disoriented, they lose a sense of where they are and what it is that lurks in the dark around them, or where the next crevice, or wall, or attack might be coming from. Once they can no longer feel in control of their physical surroundings, a person loses a sense of self. Nothing does more than darkness to isolate us from the sense of human support and understanding, which whether we're commonly conscious of it or not, is the human being's main source of self-definition. Indeed, darkness separates us from reality. disorients a person, both physically and psychologically. Heavy, right? Yep. Darkness does separate us from reality. It disorients a person, and it breaks them down and disarms them. And the only antidote to that darkness is light. Colossians 1, 11 to 14 says, "...being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience." giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued or redeemed us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul here in this in this in these verses, it's part of a bigger, bigger letter that he's writing to the church at Colossae with an encouraging word about light, and freedom from darkness and redemption. Those who abide in the kingdom of light, he says, have been freed from the dominion of the kingdom of darkness. And that's why Paul can say with confidence that we have been transferred from darkness to the kingdom of light, uh, the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And there it is. It's Jesus, the one in whom we find our redemption. One commentator says, Redemption meant freeing a slave by paying a price for that slave. It was Jesus who paid that price for you and me. He traded his very life so we could find eternal life, so we could be brought into the kingdom of light, God's kingdom. So to live redeemed, we need to be freed from darkness. And second, we need to experience his love, his kingdom, is unlike anything you and I could ever experience. But there are passages in the Bible that kind of give us an indication of what it will be like. And what I'm talking about is when we someday go to heaven. Revelation 21, 22, and 25 says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. That's awesome. No night, no darkness, no need for the sun or the moon, because the light of Jesus, the light of God, illuminates it, continually shines on his kingdom. Kind of amazing. To me, this is a picture of God's love for us, his lavish love for us that we look forward to as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to just dwell in us. It wasn't about freeing us, just freeing us from the slavery of darkness and sin. It also means being set free to experience all that he has for us, all the manifold blessings, all the lavish love that God has to pour out on us through Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John here is so joyous about the fact that God is pouring out this, he calls a lavish love, which means it has no limit. It is so abundant and so amazing and so much. He just pours out all this love on us an excessive amount that cannot be held back, it's poured out on us. Ephesians 1, 6 through 8 says, To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So not only God's love is lavished on us, but his grace. I mean, we have such a wonderful relationship with God because of what Jesus did for us. The fact that we are redeemed, we're bought back from sin and put into the kingdom of light following Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one in whom our redemption comes, the one through whom the riches of grace flow from the Father, the one through whom a river flows of lavish love for us. The Father spared no expense and did not hold back anything. As Paul says in Second Corinthians 1 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us through the glory of God. All the promises that God has, find their yes in Jesus Christ. It's just like that song we were singing in worship today. And what more can we do but say a hearty amen, meaning, yes, God, let it be so, in response. What more can we do but simply to receive that extravagant, lavish love? And then the third thing we can do to live redeemed is to live in freedom. Back two weeks ago when we started the series, we read the prophet Isaiah, And let's just go back and revisit some of those words again as we recognize the reality of redemption that we're discussing today. In chapter one of Isaiah, the prophet sharing with God's people just how disgusted God is with their sins. And he says things like, God says, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. And when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Your hands are full of blood, he says, which is another way of saying you're guilty. And all of that leads up to Isaiah 1.18, where he says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. But part of this verse at the beginning says, Come now, let us settle the matter. And in ancient terms, that was a legal way of saying, Let's balance the differences and reach an agreement here. Let's settle up. Let's figure out what you owe me. And that's where the heart of God the Father says, Though your sins are like scarlet they shall be white as snow instead of saying you owe me this and this for your egregious sins you you have to earn this he doesn't say that at all he says through isaiah that the stain of sin on their lives can be cleansed off they can be purified another way to say that is you're forgiven you're redeemed jesus christ has settled the debt and set you free you're free So think about that statement today for a moment. Free from that past life of sin. Free from darkness. Free from shame or guilt. You're free. Your debt's been settled because of Jesus. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. In whom we have this constant companion he is Emmanuel, God with us. And because of Jesus Christ, your debt, our debt has been completely settled. There's nothing left to be taken care of. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we stand before God cleansed of sin, we're white, our, our sins have been made white as freshly fallen snow. No more guilt. No more shame. No more striving to accomplish things you and I could never do in our own power anyway. If the devil's harassing you and trying to make you think that you're never going to be free of it, that you're always going to be dealing with this or that, he is a liar. The devil is a liar. The Bible tells us about him and tells us that. And you can take all those past sins, all those hindrances, all of the stuff that's bugging you, And you can submit it to the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. You can experience the freedom that God has for you. And if you are struggling with anything and you're saying, I'm doing this and I'm praying and I I don't know what's happening, but I just can't get free of it. If you want to set up a time with Pastor Steve and me, we will be glad to pray through those things with you. Take some time this coming week, though, and think of the things you've been set free of count the blessings, and count the cost of redemption. You never know a more extravagant and lavish love than that of Jesus Christ. Give him room in your life. Give him a chance. Surrender everything to him. There's a song, and in it it says, When all else fades, give me Jesus. And that's what we want to do today. Please stand as we close. just ask you to bow your heads as we close today. And if you're not experiencing the redemption that Jesus has for you, if you feel like, uh, you know, there's stuff going on in my life and I'm not living that, and you want to take a stand today to recommit your life to Christ, to experience the redemption through Jesus Christ, to surrender all to him, just raise your hand. Thank you. If you would like to receive all that God has for you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and to live your life for Jesus Christ. Would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Lord God, you've seen our hearts, you've seen our hands. You know, Father, what you have been speaking to us. And Lord, we want to surrender everything to you. We want to live lives that look like we're redeemed. Lord, we want to live lives that experience redemption, that we can walk in that freedom that you uh, exchanged your life for ours, when you died on the cross, to give us freedom in you, that you triumphed over death and hell, that we don't have to live bound by the lies of the enemy. We can live in the kingdom of light and walk away from that kingdom of darkness. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus Christ, that we would be able to walk in the strength that you have for us, Lord. That we would live our lives in a way that we honor and glorify you, but Lord, that you Give us the ability to do those things you're calling us to. Father, we want to receive everything you have for us through faith. And Lord, we want to do what uh, you have called us to. We thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in our hearts and lives this next week. We just want, Father, to see examples in our own lives of what it means to follow Jesus Christ and, and how that impacts those around us. We just thank you, Father, for all you're going to do now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.